when I first thought about it, I was like, oh, I've never, never actually done like a proper podcast before. So there's a first time for everything, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And it's just such a nice way of sort of exchanging stories. I mean, that that's the best part about sort of listening to the podcast I've been listening to. You just hear all sorts of different walks of life. And I don't know, it's just such a nice thing to hear people tell their stories because it makes you feel a bit less alone when you're, you're trying to, you know, plow through some work or, you know, sort of find your, your place in specifically conservation in this case. But even in general, you know, something to play in the background as well. I love it. So, yeah, I'm, I'm glad. I'm really excited to actually be on this. So thank you for having me. Lewis Smith, pronouns he, him, is in his fourth year of wildlife conservation at the University of Kent, England, president of the Conservation Society there, and was recently diagnosed with ADHD, which has been a big part of his journey through this space. Lewis bravely shares his experiences with us today, as well as the importance of accommodating and embracing neurodiversity within the wildlife conservation field. Welcome, Lewis. Hello and welcome to It's a Wildlife podcast and blog sharing the great work being done for wildlife conservation worldwide and solving problems for ecologists by ecologists. If you're a fellow wildlifer, whether you're just starting out or you've been about the traps for a while, tune in and let's chat. You're in the right place. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, I mean, my name's Lewis. <laughs> um, I'm currently a university student. I'm currently going into my fourth year of my course. So my course is wildlife conservation with an additional sandwich year, which is actually in languages. So last year, I spent the whole year sort of uh, dedicated to learning French um, got to have a nice little trip to Paris as well. So yeah, I mean, at the moment, I'm sort of going into my final year. I've got my dissertation that I'm going to be starting. I'm president of the Conservation Society at my university as well now, which is really, really cool. And yeah, and also I have ADHD, which is a big part of my conservation journey. I think it's hugely entwined in where I am in life. And yeah, I mean, it's 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 hugely impactful in both negative and uh, positive ways, but Absolutely. Thank you so much for starting off there. That's all right. I'm a horrendous at introductions. I could never, I never know what to say. <laughs> it's hard to know how you box yourself in a sense, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's like having a sort of small snippet of, of who you are as a person. I was hoping you might be able to share a few of the steps that you took to find your initial passion for wildlife and then sort of how you ended up doing a degree Absolutely. So this is quite an interesting story. So it's really not a clear path. Um, I didn't exactly have my wildlife hat on from the get go. Um, <laughs> and I think it speaks true to sort of who I am as a person and especially with, with my ADHD and the difficulties that sort of come with it. I've never really been clear on what I wanted. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I grew up absolutely loving nature in my childhood. My mum took me for walks all the time. I have a really distinct memory of when I was younger. There was a, a lady who offered me, a, I, I didn't have any money at the time, but I was at a RS, an RSPB um, wildlife day and they had a book about ladybirds and um, different insects. And I was like, oh, I love this. Like, it's really, really cool. I was so interested in it. And I remember she gave me the book for free. And I think that's a really key memory that sort of stuck with me for some reason, because I just, I don't know, it was like, I was really interested in it then. And, uh, you know, I've always had that sort of affinity with nature in that sense. Um, but then I think in my teenage years, 
I sort of I fell out of love with it in a way. You know, I think in that sort of age range, you sort of you don't want to go for your, for walks with mum anymore, and you know, <laughs> you sort of become a bit more you know that angsty phase of nah, you know, I'm not going to do this, not going to do that. I got to my A levels, and I was always keen on doing psychology, so I actually did not really science related I've never really been a sort of sciencey person I'm really quite terrible at maths <laughs> I'm very um, more so <clears throat> creative and you know down the artsy route yeah but you know sort of got into how my reactions are to nature and things like that I mean there's a lot about we you know a lot, a lot about stewardship protecting the earth um and I'm, I'm I'm a very sentimental person so you know I'm very emotional so I, I do find that you know nature is one of those things that really brings out these emotions but yeah, so definitely gone a little bit of a tangent there, but <laughs> I did psychology and I applied for psychology at university. Um, and then sort of when I was doing my exams, I realized, you know what, I really don't like it anymore. So I changed to English literature at university. I did that for a week and then eventually I didn't want to do that anymore. So I changed to media studies, which makes you wonder how on earth did I eventually come to, <laughs> to conservation? So uh, halfway through the year I I think I didn't really have the maturity I needed to sort of know what I wanted in life and what was really meant sort of true to me and I was um halfway through media studies and we had a module on creating a portfolio of social media and there's a there's a part about the environment and sort of those things um and sort of creating a social media platform based on looking after the environment so I was like oh this is really cool you know and I just looked into more courses and I found my wildlife conservation course and I thought, you know what, this is, this is what I want to do. This is really what I want. I, I was like, I can't believe I've never, never realized this is a thing. It's definitely sort of got my um, priorities aligned 100%. So uh, a big part of obviously with my course is that there's just, there's so much flexibility in a sense of, of what you want to do. And I'm, I've really enjoyed finding that. I mean, having that year where I changed courses a million times and I think I needed that as an individual. I do think that people, especially young young people who have just come out of school, um, there is a pressure to know what you want to do. There is a really big pressure to sort of be forced into a career path that is going to keep you on one track without room for changing. And, and I, I think that's really problematic in the education system in some ways, because I could have ended up doing three years of media studies and come out with this degree and not have a clue what I wanted to do with it and you know it's there's a, there's a huge huge amount of pressure that is placed on people and I, I think for me it was the right decision to take that step back yes I'm still at university at 23 years of age but that means nothing you know if you want to take a gap year if you want to take time out just to to find your ground if you want to get some experience I can't tell you enough how much yeah I feel like that's what I took my that's sort of my journey in a sort of synopsis I mean absolutely what an amazing sort of journey and it's something that really struck me about what you were saying which I really resonate with is the pressure of knowing what you want to do from such a young age and then the bravery that it takes to sort of step outside those bounds and work out exactly what it is makes you thrive do you want to talk a little bit about that pressure and how you sort of navigate that space and absolutely I mean as I said about sort of in my teenage years and I, I fell out of love of that it's really about sort of finding it all over again because I had that a lot you know when you're a child it's it's a bit easier you know you 
sort of you you find everything quite exciting but in a way I had to define that again and it's not like I was actively searching for it but it sort of landed on my lap and I was like, oh, there it is. You know, I, I think the moments of realisation that I, I have really stemmed from so many different circumstances. I mean, it was the typical watching a David Attenborough documentary. And at the end, it had the sort of the really scary warning of how we're treating our planet and, you know, how we're really at the brink of, you know, extinction of, of many species, of our own species. So, you know, that was a really big sort of wake up call in my head and a big moment of realisation. Like, I want to devote my life to this in a way. You know, this is so important to me. I've always been a very introspective, in my head person. So, you know, I've always been like, sort of like, you know, what's my purpose? I'm not personally religious. For me, nature is one of the closest we can get to who we are as people, really, you know, how we, and I felt like I just had this really strong sense of duty to, I don't know, protect it in any way I can. (laughs) And, you know, and it sort of went from there. We've got such a society that is so fast and so rushed and everything. We just, we don't notice what is literally right in front of us sometimes, you know. Yesterday on the train, I, you know, I saw a magpie on top of a sheep and I just found it so funny and so sort of like, you know, r- really like a moment. That I was like, oh my God, there's a there's a magpie on top of a sheep. <laughs> and it's such a small thing, but there's these are moments that I think it's so, as a society, we really try, we ignore these things, whether intentionally or not. But for me, these were moments of realization. You know, there's so many things I want to appreciate. And yeah, I mean, regarding the pressure as well, I think the education system, I mean, I don't know in other countries, but more so in the UK, you either go to college and you go off to do an apprenticeship or it's you just go to university. And if I'm completely honest with myself, I really didn't know what university actually was at that age. I had no idea. You know, I, you know, I didn't know what it meant to be a university student. You know, I, I, was, I wasn't exposed to it. I'm the first in my family as well to go to university so that was a big pressure on myself anyway because a lot of my friends have graduated now they've sort of reached a point where they don't necessarily know what they want to do and you know they came out of uni and thought oh well that's three years done there's a pressure to just get those three three years done and finish your degree and you've got a degree you now you now need a degree for sort of anything and I, and I think that pressure to get that stops people from really exploring what they actually like and what they want to do I think we lack the sort of the recognition of, of, you know, other options and taking your time, taking things slowly. Absolutely. I love what you've alluded to just there is the mindfulness that you feel in nature. And as you put it, the emotional connection that you have with it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's probably one of the biggest things with nature in general. I would say to everyone and anyone who might be feeling stressed and down and you know it's not the cure for everything not in the society we live in but I think it really helps you unconsciously consciously if you just spend some time in nature and that time to reflect on yourself and mindfulness especially when it came to nature for me it's always been a place where I love just going off the beaten track and sort of going off into the woods and just going anywhere and finding a place to just sort of just explore really you know I find that if I'm stressed out and I and I, I don't know what I want to do and or, or I feel overwhelmed when I'm in nature, it's like it sort of takes that pressure off you. You take yourself from this environment in society and in, in in places where you've got deadlines, you've got you've got to abide by time and all these 
social pressures and stuff but when you go into somewhere especially anywhere that's not many people go to I think being alone sometimes in nature is really useful because you can sort of be yourself you know nothing within nature is really telling you you need to be someone nature is really just nature you know Um, and without humans impacting it you know it really just it just is itself it's the most clear-cut thing for anyone to sort of be in and we we can all appreciate nature I don't I think everyone can appreciate a good view you know a really nice view you know beautiful forests beautiful lakes anything like that the there's so much appreciation we can find in it and I mean me personally um speaking of my ADHD I think there's so many benefits to being sort of um neurodivergent and on on sort of the spectrum of neurodiversity and I do think that I mean there's even studies now that nature and forest forest schools for example and which are becoming more popular these are things that really help people who you know experience difficulties connecting with the world that is built around us you know I I, interestingly I, I feel like I meet more people who are um, neurodivergent in conservation than I have my entire life. I just find that there are so many people out there who, you know, have ADHD or maybe autism and they don't necessarily find a place within society in some aspects. There's so many difficulties that arise with it. I found that being in touch with nature and being in, you know, accepting your inner child in a way, because I don't mind getting muddy and dirty when I'm outside and in the woods. And I think it's one of the best, you know, medicines to anything. (laughs) You know, I think it's letting go of the pressures of of society. And and I think that's one of the, the best things for someone who's neurodivergent. You know, society really isn't built for people like that. And it's immensely difficult. So it's an outlet it's it's sort of that euphoria of being able to I don't know just let loose I think (laughs) you know and appreciate what what's around you absolutely and isn't it so much of a comfort to realize that there is a place that you can go that is so safe where you're able to express your full self without those pressures yeah could we talk about the neurodivergent and what does PTHD look like to you and what do you mean when you're talking about neurodivergence? So ADHD in general is a, uh, I really hope I'm getting my jargon correct here. <laughs> it's a developmental disorder, if I'm correct. And uh, it's a disorder that sort of affects you in a myriad of ways. So it stands for Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, um, which many people who have ADHD agree is actually not the best way of terming it because it's so much more convoluted than that i mean the the stereotype of adhd is that you've got a kid who's hyperactive you know can't stop him da, 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 but it manifests in billions of different ways you know everyone is different everyone experiences it differently and i think that's partly what sort of affected me in in, in my sort of journey with it your brain works differently sort of constantly in motion and constantly finding difficulties in the attention side of things and it, it extends beyond that as well it's your executive function so executive function is to do with you know more organization being able to keep on time with things and you know i'm horrific at keeping on time with things it's a big part of what my adhd manifests i mean if for me i was only diagnosed actually two years ago now so it's still quite fresh there's a lot more awareness nowadays so there are more diagnoses for it it takes off this pressure where you you understand that it's not you necessarily. You don't start blaming yourself. I mean, 
I went through school and university wondering why, why am I always late? Why am I always late? Why am I not, you know, why do I not finish my homework? There's all these little, little intricacies about yourself that you just, you put it down to yourself. You, you, you think, oh, it's just me. That's the problem. It's, you know, and it really affects your everything, you know, that's why many people with ADHD have depression and all these, you know, anxiety, a lot of comorbid disorders. And unfortunately, a lot of people filter through the system because it's not, it's not easy to spot. In a way, and I've explained this to my friends a lot of time, I felt quite invisible through school in terms of the teachers. So there was obviously the kids who were doing really, really well. They were excelling at everything. They were getting the best grades. And then there were the kids that were sort of messing around, causing problems. And I found that I was in the in-between of these, you know, I, I wasn't perfect. I didn't have these really amazing outstanding grades. And I always just accepted that. I, I mean, some advice I could give to anyone, especially university students. Um, if you suspect that you have ADHD and or, or autism or dyslexia or any sort of learning difficulty, don't leave it till you when you leave uni. Thankfully, my university have been absolutely brilliant with all of it. I mean, um, there's a huge problem with getting diagnosed and receiving help. But if you go through university, there's a lot of services where they will support you regardless of whether you have a diagnosis or not. I do think universities are there for that. University is not just there for, you know, just studying and getting a degree. I do think people forget that. As cliche as it may sound, it is about finding yourself, who you are and your identity and understanding that you may not be the person you've been told you are growing up and that certainly was the case for me um so eventually when I got diagnosed it's it's been tough don't get me wrong I'm very content with it now you know I, I I'm very content with where I am you know a lot of people do say it's sort of a superpower and it is in some ways I think being neurodivergent and studying and things like that I I, I think we view things so differently to the neurotypical person you know the, we view the world in such a different light and and i think society naturally has this negative limelight on neurodivergent disorders and it's so problematic it's so problematic because these are people who could come up with the next idea for a bacteria that can degrade microplastics or something like that there's a term for it i believe it might be called divergent thinking basically thinking outside the box and we need that. We really, really need that. And I think for me personally, I mean, I've tried to get my strengths from having this disorder and falling back to looking inside about who I am and myself and seeing what aspects of my ADHD, what aspects of myself really benefit my my journey into conservation. Um, you know, don't get me wrong. I struggle day in, day out with making sure I've got not late, as I said. And it's very easy for me, at least. Um, I don't know if it's a general ADHD thing, but for everyone, really, it's very easy to just get overwhelmed and just shut down, stop functioning. And, and then suddenly it becomes this big backlog of, oh, I've not done this. I've not done that. But, I, you know, I'm, I'm working with that. And it's, it's something I accept may happen. And I think focusing on what it's done for me i mean i've got a job at the moment which is at a um local um conservation park called howlitz these are conservation-based zoos they do a lot of rewilding a lot of sending western lowland gorillas out there so i, I work there part-time as a fundraiser it's a uh, it's a job that i don't think i ever saw myself in for now but it's been amazing you know it's it's been this job that is really open doors and that came about because of one of my strengths of ADHD and, and myself as, you know what, I'm just going to spontaneously do something. There was a job fair at my university and I saw the logo and I went, I'm going to go speak to this guy. 
spoke to the guy. I said, yeah, I came here specifically for you. What's this about? And he was like, oh, it's a fundraising job. And I said, you know what? Sounds really, really cool. And he said, okay, we've got interviews. Would you like one on Friday? And now that has just has a domino effect in that now I've got volunteer in there. I'm volunteering with primates. It's just, I get the ball rolling by just having the ability to just, I feel like I can really connect with people. And this is absolutely why I've got on a long, long speech this whole time. <laughs> I feel like I can talk a lot. For some people, that's problematic. And I think with ADHD, you can talk a lot, talk your ear off, you know, it's... <laughs> and that's the strength for my job. I think I'm very empathetic t- towards people um, and nature. And I feel like I can connect and, and talk to people. And, that, and that's the strength of who I am. Absolutely. But I think that is such a wonderful explanation of sort of how it feels to be in a position like yours. And I love hearing your journey from invisible as you called yourself and turning that around completely and realizing what used to be considered as something that was unideal is actually a superpower. I'm so grateful that you've been able to share that story. Oh, thank you. It's really nice to share it. I mean, it's, you know, it's a very complicated and long journey and that's what it is. That's the reality of it, really. I mean, there's a way to turning a negative into a positive in so many aspects. And I'm a very optimistic person. And I think when it comes to sort of bird surveys and things like that, people with ADHD are somehow much better at picking sounds up, I think. You know, just being able to be like, oh, that's a, this. Because we're so hyper aware of everything in the environment. It's, it's finding those little quirks about yourself that in one situation you may go, that's annoying, that is not going to help me. To then being like, in this situation, which I prefer this situation, this is this is where I'm going to, you know, really shine at, especially the conservation and the nature world. I, I think it's one of the most accepting people. I think I have not met someone in conservation who I've sort of not a bit of me, really, <laughs> you know, because we all share the same sort of interest in that sense. And it's it's a commonality that we all share. We all we all appreciate our our world. And um, I think that's something very easy for maybe someone who's nonverbal, for example, an autistic person who's nonverbal, they can connect so easily on that. Absolutely. As you mentioned, a lot of people in this space are neurodivergent and they are like thinking as well as like-minded. Absolutely. Would you mind sharing some ideas that might help people like yourself feel more comfortable within the conservation space, help people to get to where they want to be without those pressures? I mean, first of all, I would already mentioned with the education system i mean from the get-go if there was more services this is something way beyond unfortunately the scope of conservation specifically but you know if there's more awareness education about things and but these are things that would benefit people there's a lot of debate on whether kids need to be diagnosed and things like that but for me i think it's been one of the most helpful things so it's it's having that the facilities to have that option available and I think that's so important but conservation specifically I mean it's just it's more about just making sure having that awareness and and the acceptance of it you know it's creating a space that people who love nature and want to get involved in conservation can feel welcome you know there's nothing more important And, and that extends beyond just being neurodivergent I think that extends to making a space safe for um, people of colour, the LGBT community, neurodivergent people. These are things that are, I think, I do think in conservation, it, it's heavily orientated towards, you know, the white male who's always been a naturalist and gone out and done these things, you know, Darwin sort of thing style. And, and I think f- for neurodivergence specifically, is utilising that superpower more. 
I think people with ADHD and autism have so much to to bring to the table when it comes to conservation. And I, I do think that, especially when it comes to research, I do think there's a sort of gatekeeping in, in a sense that you need to be really good at these sort of programs and for an idea to come about. Whereas I think, you know, people can come up with all crazy sorts of ideas when it comes to, you know, solving climate crisis and these sort of things. So, so just being in general more accepting, you know, conservation needs to be more accepting of, of the layman, of the person who hasn't necessarily done a degree or, you know, got to PhD sort of thing. And, you know, I, I think it's so irrelevant and it's not just for, you know, for people who are neurodivergent or even people you know, there's the idea of traditional ecological knowledge, people who have lived and breathed an area that they, they live in, and their opinions and their, their knowledge is completely neglected just because they haven't done scientific research, whereas they've, they know the land, you know, they know they've lived there. And I, and I think that's a problem in general with conservation, you have to have that research hat on constantly. And sometimes it's not, you know, it doesn't need to be as diff, as complicated as that. It doesn't need that. It's, it can be straightforward. You can just have someone come up with a random idea. And next thing you know, you've got a wildflower meadow. I mean, that's, I think conservation could do with a little bit more spontaneity. That's, that's the way I, I view it. And I think neurodivergent people are really the ones for that. <laughs> Absolutely. I love the way you put that. I think there's so much that needs to change about the way we think about conservation. And as you mentioned, neurodivergence and that thinking out of the box is possibly one of the best ways to start that process going. You know, for a career that doesn't typically have a pathway, we seem to be very good at gatekeeping, as you say, to stop people from coming into the space even though there's no specific requirements, there's a huge number of expectations. A lot of them academic. Yeah. <laughs> Global biodiversity loss, widespread climate change. These are issues that aren't solved. Not to undermine the work that people are doing and the progress that we've made towards solving some of these problems, but it's clearly not enough because the problems still exist. And so in a sense, we're shooting ourselves in the foot because we should be looking beyond the framework. And as scientists, to do the same thing again and again and to expect different results, that's the definition of not being scientific is madness. So inclusion, diversity, these are things that we need to embrace to solve these problems. Absolutely. I mean, there's there's that idea of citizen science becoming more of the thing. I'm such an advocate for citizen science because it's free data for one thing, you know, <laughs> you know, and even from my job speaking to people when I'm fundraising, it's like there's so many people like I'd love to get involved. And I just say to them, you know what I say, there are so many places that need volunteers and there's, there is so much out there. I just think there is this impression that you need to have all these experiences and all these da 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 da. And it's like, it's it's not all you need really is a passion for the planet <laughs> and i think we forget that that we need so important for just moving forward as a, as a civilization really absolutely absolutely and i think definitely from my experience that gatekeeping that fear that other people might come in and do something better than you're doing comes from a space where you're not certain in yourself you know there's a lack of funding there's a lack of jobs there's a lack of opportunities there's a lack of acknowledgement within society a lot of the time that these issues in the natural world need to be tackled yeah but taking on those feelings of lack and not doing sort of what you alluded to before the inner work i want to call it when you know yourself and when you accept yourself completely as you are there's no possible way that you can be a gatekeeper. So it's sort of, in a sense, I think it really is up to everybody. 
to sort of do that work and to think about who they want to be because that's the best way to start listening to the people around them. And from there, bringing those new ideas in, welcoming different people to the space. I'm always trying to get my friends involved with things <laughs> because the way I see it is anyone can, you know, even just if we just go for walks, it might just be the one-off documentary because, you know, some people have limited mobility access. There's, there's, just, there's so many people we need to think about. We're all so different and it's not fair to to put one standardized model for a conservationist you don't you don't need it you really don't it's it's, it's all just be yourself <laughs> it's so true I love the way this conversation has gone because it is really important it's something that we don't typically think about when we're coming into a space but how it might appear to other people it's a conscious thing that we need to be thinking about if we want to be attracting all different people from all different backgrounds because if people feel like they're not included then they might not be able to get involved and if they don't get involved how will they want to stay have an experience it's, it's dangerous if you because you're turning someone away when we really more than ever we need the whole world to be involved you know it's you turn someone away if you're going to downplay their qualifications how qualified they are to be in nature and be in conservation absolutely my mind is wearing I'm like <laughs> thinking about my own practice you know and the classes that we run and things like that like how could we think about it from a different perspective because so often you have you know a set of requirements that you're required to teach outcomes that you're expected to sort of deliver on or you know funding requirements for grants that you're expected to meet and that pressure can cause people to be rushing it can cause people to be moving quicker than maybe they should be if they were thinking from a more inclusive mindset you know how yeah. is this method appearing to the people around me and also to the people who aren't around me you know how can we reach a different group of people that weren't attracted enough to show up today it's not easy to think of everyone because there's a lot of people as i said but like the more, the more we start to do that, the more we recognise it's not just people who are, as I said, the one perfect model for a conservationist. As soon as we start to recognise that it's everyone, people from different ages, different backgrounds, sexualities, neurodivergencies, you know, as I said a minute ago about people who have limited their mobility, I think that's a huge problem. I mean, last year there was a student and she, she was in, in the wheelchair. And she wanted to really get involved with our society. And, and I started to realise and I felt awful for it. And it's something that I need to work on this year as well, specifically as president, is I want to make events that aren't always... Because, you know, as a lot of volunteering in conservation is very practical. It is the nature of it. You know, it's it's the reality. But it doesn't mean that that person... Maybe they can't get involved with certain things, but it doesn't mean they should be completely excluded. And, and I, I felt so awful not being able to, you know really facilitate that as, as someone who is you know meant to be creating a welcome environment for an inclusive environment um so yeah these are these are just things that you know it does make me wonder how how we could move forward you know make it more accessible for people the more accessible and available we can make these opportunities for people the more people we're going to get to save the world you know it it just for me it's a simple equation you know it, it, it means it's a lot harder than obviously just that but do you know what I mean it's like <laughs> yeah yeah I really resonate with that and just thinking about it like we're both trying to think very much out 
outside of the box right now, you know, thinking about things in a different way. And I really appreciate the opportunity to do that. But without this opportunity, I might not be thinking about these things and I would consider myself to be an inclusive person. So I think that it's definitely a good idea for people who do consider themselves to be in that sort of open and inclusive space to always think about ways that they can be more inclusive and more available and more accommodating because especially from my experience within the conservation space, moving through that industry has always progressed thanks to people who have to give me a hand up you know that's a brilliant analogy I think it's you know it's like helping someone up it's so much quicker than sort of watching them just climb up by themselves we need to have more hands reaching out to these individuals you know offering these hands to everyone then there needs to be more of that yeah absolutely and I think it's very interesting because so often especially early on in my career I encountered a lot of people who'd struggled to get into the space you know they really did the hard yards and I think because they struggled so much they almost put that on as a requirement to enter the field and I remember yeah when I started my internship and I had this incredible supervisor like shout out to Helen she absolutely changed my perspective she said honestly Susie like some people are going to succeed and some people are not going to succeed and they're going to do that regardless of whether or not you help them I think that really struck me and it stayed with me for a really long time yeah my sort of primary goal this year for being the president is that exactly that it's the accessibility and it's offering that hand to my members of the society because we all know how hard it is to find you know volunteering find internships find resources and honestly I think things like like this podcast these are things that they're not handed to you on a plate like you really have to go out and seek them and for some people that's very difficult and I think there are these problems with having I know for a fact I think because I've had these five years at university that's helped me find the time and ability to reach out for these opportunities and you know, as I said, improve myself and look more into myself. And, and, and now I've got to a stage where I, I know I can, you know, reach out to random people and offer them a smile and a, you know, a kind gesture of volunteering and things like that, you know. For some people, this is really hard. You know, people aren't necessarily as confident as, as I may be or someone else may be to, to go out and ask for these. So if I can offer, you know, my aim this year is to, get people out and volunteering because it really helps their chances if they go if if they want to pursue a career in conservation then it 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 just passes down it trickles down it's not like I want to sit there and gatekeep my connections to Kent Wildlife Trust or you know the RSPB just because I have those connections I did the effort I got them these are mine I'm not sharing them no no that's the whole point of conservation is we need as many people as we can so if I can get you know, 10 people on a volunteering trip somewhere to build some dams or anything like that. It's like, why would I not do that? For me, that's, it makes so much sense. But I I know that's not always the case with a lot of stuff. Absolutely. And so many of the ways they're free, like it doesn't cost anything to smile or to offer help. Yeah. (laughs) You don't have to compromise your own position or your own capacity to get things done in a day or your own like resources in order to help other people. And if you do, is it really such a bad thing? No, no, it's not. (laughs) Absolutely. 
Lewis, if people wanted to discuss this neurodivergence within the conservation space, was there a way they could reach out to you and get in touch? Yeah, yeah. So I've got my um, Instagram. It's a bit of a play on words. It's Wild Loof, just like my name, Lewis. So yeah, <laughs> um, and that's where I try and post. I've been a bit lacklustre, but again, that's, that's fine. It's fine. I'm okay with that. You know, I, um, but yeah, you can reach out to me on there. I think if anyone does want to reach out, if you know they might have ADHD or you know they have it and they're struggling, I know for a fact that when I was going through the process, there was nothing better for me than hearing someone else's stories and I, I remember honestly I was going I type in ADHD and you know struggling to sleep or ADHD struggling to do this or it got to the point where I was doing ADHD and conservation <laughs> and like you know I've come across articles where people with ADHD who went out into nature showed signs of less anger or emotional outbursts and things like that and I was like oh wow you know um so yeah if anyone wants to reach out to me or you just want to follow what I'm up to yeah that's the best way okay wonderful we'll definitely link that down below in the show notes before we finish up today Lewis was there anything else that you wanted to touch on I've definitely touched on a lot but you know (laughs) what I'll just say sort of closing words I think be yourself think outside the box and you know let's all create a more inclusive environment I think because we're we're not going to solve the problems in the world if we just keep to ourselves you know be more inclusive Absolutely. Thank you very much for joining us today. No worries. Thank you so much for having me on. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for joining us for another episode of It's a Wildlife. If you've been inspired by our discussion or have something to share, please get in touch, leave us a review or share the love with your network. We'll chat soon.